1: Are you looking to really accelerate your personal growth? If so, go to my website and download the free Abundance Benchmark. It's gonna give you some amazing feedback on where you're stuck in life. Again, it's totally free, and you can grab yours right now at matthewbivins.com. Welcome to Having It All. My name is Matthew Bivens, and each week I bring you conversations and insights that explore the question, What does having it all mean to you? My goal is to leave you with stories you can relate to and messages you can take action on so that you can create an abundant, loving life. I am so excited that you're here to hang out with me today. Now, let's jump right into this episode. My guest today is Heather Gray. Heather is an executive coach working with entrepreneurs and business leaders who have achieved that external success, you know, the great career, the fat bank account, all the titles behind their name, but that success has come at the expense of their internal well-being. So what Heather does is she helps them have the lifestyle and the wealth that they want, but also the personal fulfillment that they truly desire. Now, what's cool is that Heather's business and website have a very familiar sounding name, which we'll get into in a second. And so with that, I am very excited to be chatting with Heather on this episode. Heather, how are you being today?
2: Oh, I'm so good. I'm so excited to have this conversation with you. Thank you so much for having me.
1: You are so, so welcome. Thank you for joining me and uh, hanging out for a little bit. And so I, I teased the name of your website in the intro. Uh, but can you share it with us now?
2: Sure. Uh, I built my life, my passion and my business around the idea of uh, letting people know that they can have happiness in the life they want. They just have to choose it. So I called my business choosetohaveitall.com.
1: Boom. (laughs) I think that is so cool. And it is very obvious that, you know, why you and I wanted to connect. Your website is called Choose to Have it All. And this podcast is called Having it All. So you and I are speaking on some uh, some similar things, I imagine.
2: Yes, absolutely. And I, I think, too, it's so important for people to recognize that it's possible for them, but that they have a role in that. And I think sometimes people think that having it all is just for the lucky rather than uh, a sort of an action response to the things that they've done.
1: Hmm. So what does having it all mean to you?
2: I think for me, having it all is a sense of well-being and balance uh, across a couple of areas in my life. That personally, I'm feeling fulfilled in my relationships. Professionally, I'm feeling fulfilled. But I'm also living up to my potential. I think sometimes in my work life, that hasn't always been true. And so I've never felt totally complete professionally because I always felt like maybe I was holding my potential back. Um, And then I also think um, there's this internal sense of not only my relationships with other people, but the third part is that my relationship with myself is good. Like Mm -hmm. I'm good with me and I can just do me and be good with that and where I'm at in addition to knowing what I'm working on next.
1: That's powerful. I love that you brought in that relationship to self. I I think it's key and I've talked about it on the show and it's just I think it starts there. You know, I, I believe that you can. Which you can you know, the the extent to which you can love yourself is the extent to which you can love other people.
2: I- also think too that it's about accepting yourself and your limit your limitations a little bit too right it's not just like oh I accept this I accept that Um, but also too like for me I know for example I'm a natural crier like I'm going to be the person who cries at a Hallmark commercial I'm going to (laughs) be the person who cries every holiday thinking about the people who've passed away in the years before that I'm never going to share another holiday table with and I can either get mad at myself and be like wow you're such an emotional mess or hey, I'm a natural born crier, and that comes with the picture.
1: Yeah, well, that's awesome. That acceptance is so huge, so huge. So, how did you get into this type of work? Where you, did you go to school for this stuff, or did did did? Uh,
2: I yeah, it's actually been a bit of a long road. Um, I started my clinical training as a clinical social worker, and I kind of since I was 20, 21 or so. I had always said that I was going to go into program management in residential treatment facilities, which are like homes and programs for adolescent girls and boys who struggle in the community. They can't get it right at home. Usually their stories come with tons of trauma, tons of uh, trials and tribulations, and I had gone into program management thinking that that's really what I wanted to do, and I did that for about ten years until I hit burnout, um, and then that's when I made a move to kind of working one-on-one with adults on their own personal development, achievements, and life goals.
1: Now, why the topic? You know, why why work with people uh, on how- personal development?
2: Um, I think it's because I having worked with so much with trauma and working with so much with kids who awful things had happened to, one of the things that I ended up learning about is that the kids who kind of made it, the kids who showed resilience were the kids who decided this isn't how my story is going to end. It doesn't end here. I'm going to learn what I need to learn. I'm going to learn how to act better. I'm going to learn how to talk better. Mm-hmm. And so what I, I really kind of came to is that I think there was a lot of, in the clinical, movement and in the private practice mental health movement it's oh you're depressed oh you've been traumatized oh this awful thing has happened to you and my perspective has never been life happens to you it's life happens to everyone so what are you going to do about it and I had to say that to an eight-year-old girl and a 14-year-old boy and at some point I think we stopped telling that to adults and I I was kind of the rogue therapist for a while in private practice before I moved into online coaching saying okay all these awful things happen to you. But uh, what are you going to do about it here? Because you still have choices. And that passion and that belief that you can build a life regardless of what's happened to you has just kind of gotten stronger and more clear and more centered for me the longer I've been talking to people.
1: That's awesome. That's so, so, so big. I think when it comes to choosing to have it all is understanding that life serves you up circumstances and you get to choose how you wanna to respond to them. And I, I just and I, so powerful.
2: Yeah absolutely and I don't think that people sort of say that often enough because I think what ends up happening and it's funny because you kind of have to find your tribe right you have to find the people who believe in this and who agree with you because if they don't agree with you on it they're never going to change in the first place but it's this idea of like as soon as you buy into this message no matter what the heck has happened to you you're not a victim anymore you have a choice in like what you can do next and you can survive way more easily when you're the one who's decided this isn't how my story ends. I don't like where I'm at right now, so I'm going to pivot. Um, I just I think that's where that awareness is, where I've seen the most lives have the most change.
1: Hmm. Yeah, the victim stuff is real. You know, it's it's like I, I feel like just it's reinforced in a lot of of things that we see on, you know, in today and in media and things like that. Uh, the concept of somebody being a victim or well, being the abused you know, or abuser. abuser. It,
2: absolutely. And you run the risk if you're sort of being the one who's saying, so what are you going to do about this? Okay, you fell on the sidewalk. Are you going to get back up? I think sometimes those questions um, get seen as callous, as isn't an yeah. insensitive and invalidating. But that's not really what it's about. It's, hey, you fell on the sidewalk, but hey, I'm right here. Here's my hand. Take my hand. We'll get up. We'll walk together. We just saw it uh, this week in the Olympics. I don't know if you caught that clip of the two women in one of the hundred mile dashes or something, and they fell on top of each other and they both picked each other up and kept going. They didn't stay down. And I think that so much about having it all is validating the fall. And I think sometimes people forget that part, that nobody in the story right now is saying, well, crap, these girls lost out on their medal. That sucks." And I think that in life, we have to do that part. We have to say, oh, God, man, you fell. I'm so sorry. That's so hard. You really worked hard and you didn't get where you wanted. But once you do that part, the having it all part is, let's get back up and figure it out. And they did. And now they've inspired so many people in that moment of getting back up.
1: Yeah, I totally remember that that, that moment. And it's definitely... You know, it's one of those Olympic moments that stands out, but it's great that you can connect it to a, a bigger a bigger message and when you were talking, you made me think of a personal example that I'm going to bring up and actually I'm going to ask you a question um, and it's again, this is personal to me and and a circumstance that I'm right now experiencing with my family specifically with my my youngest, my youngest sister we had a conversation two days ago about this So what would you say to somebody who feels as if they you know, are, are are victim to life. Life happened to them, and in order for them to feel supported, they wanted the other people to enroll in that victim mentality with them. That's how they would feel supported. How would you handle or approach that situation?
2: I think the first step I do is I say, hey, I know you want to rescue right now. I know your story is that this has happened and this has happened and you've been through this and you shouldn't have to fight anymore. That's getting through it and still living and still surviving that you did your business. like And now it's someone else's turn to hold your hand and drag you through life. And I know you want that and that makes sense to me. But if I give you that, All I'm doing is making you dependent on me and you're not building your life. You're just building an additional crutch that you need to get through life. And so if you fall again, you're there again. And I don't want that for you. I don't want you to be down on the ground falling because the next time you fall, if I don't rescue you right now, you're going to know how to get back up.
1: (sighs) Wow. (laughs) Uh, Don't have I don't have much to say because that. Well, I'm going to I'm going to encourage my uh, my family to listen to that portion because, yeah, that whole concept of, of feeling like someone needs to be rescued. I mean, I've been there, you know, I've I've uh, hit my head on the concrete and then wanted somebody to to pick me up, dust me off, patch me up and make sure that I didn't do it again. And then when I did do it again, I looked to them and like, where are you? You didn't come and rescue me a second time.
2: And then you're constantly longing and yearning and searching and you're in this like empty whole place of scarcity mentality where I'm not going to get my needs met because I need other people. If you can kind of tune into your capability and what it is that you know and what you've learned and then you get back up, you did that your damn self. And then like you've got that in your back pocket. You know, one of the things that I always kind of go to is that that. professionally, I've always been pretty good. I I don't pretend uh, to take that for granted, that I have a talent with words. I have a talent with communicating. um, And I I know that that kind of thing comes easy for me. I was the one who got A's in high school in psychology and English, and I got the C's in uh, biology and math. I've known that. (laughs) since the beginning of time. But when I get scared and when I get anxious, I remember the night in a residential treatment center when it felt like there were more kids than adults. And there were more kids acting out than adults. And they rioted on us. And it was super scary. And I had to lead that situation and manage adults and manage the other scared kids that happened. Matthew, that must have happened. Like at this point in my career, it must have happened 12 years ago. I still go, Hey, that was my worst night ever. It's Mm. not that bad right now. And I lean on it.
1: Wow, that's powerful. Yeah, it's yeah, like if you, I, you made it through so that, have- you can make it through the next, you know, challenge that 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 you come up against
2: think people use their challenges that way life happens to all of us it sucks for all of us and at times not all the time some people get were you know dealt like heavier cards in life than some some other people but at some point in time we're all challenged and I think sometimes once a challenge happens and we've survived it or we've gotten over it we go whew Whoa, never again. And they don't recognize that that thing you just survived is now your biggest skill set in your toolbox. You now know how to get through the thing that two weeks ago you didn't know how to get through. Yeah.
1: Yeah, and and one thing I've I've experienced personally is that, um, you know, I'm I'm big on my own personal development and on my own uh, journey for healing and for growth. And what I found is that life will serve up something for me, and it'll look like the biggest mountain I've ever had to climb, and it looks impossible. And then I climb it, and then I have that experience, like you said, where I'm like, "Whew, I made it!" And then life serves up an even bigger one. You know, it's like, okay, you're playing this big game, this this big. Uh, growth and healing game. So it just keeps serving up bigger and bigger mountains and being able to look back and be like, you know what? I scaled that mountain before that I thought was impossible. I can scale this one. That for me has been a huge tool to have in my my pocket.
2: Absolutely. And I would just add one more thing to that, that in between mountains, it's okay to look at the next one and go, are you kidding me again? And I think sometimes when people like us send the message to people like your family of like, come on, like this isn't like we're not in our past anymore. This isn't still happening to us. We can get past this. And and you you, like you're sending that message of positivity. They don't hear that validation. But if you go and it's not fair that you have to do it again and you don't want to do it again, but not wanting to do it again doesn't mean you can't do it again. I still Mm -hmm. think you have to embrace the suck a little little bit I heard that on a podcast uh, with uh, Michael O'Neill the other day um, and it's this idea that like at some point in time you have to embrace the suck and I think that that's how we connect to people who don't necessarily instinctively think like us
1: Yeah and I, I know for me sometimes I've come across as um, lacking empathy and so yes you know being able to embrace that suck is is huge it's huge.
2: You just don't live there, right? Like you say, yeah, this sucks, but we're, we're getting up now, right? <laughs> yeah,
1: absolutely. So tell me a bit about some of the challenges that your current coaching clients come to you with, the people who have the, the, you know, the a, a success sure. on paper, but are feeling like they're lacking something inside.
2: I think that one of the, the kind of to put a frame on all of this is I and I, I think I was raised with this belief, too, that if you climb the ladder, whatever ladder you're on and you can be a blue collar worker wanting to own your own shop or you can want to be a CEO. I've, I've worked with a lot of people in different professionals, but it, it's sort of this message is is if you just do what you need to do, if you just hustle, you get to the top that's having it all. And a lot of times what I find is I'm working with these senior managers, mid managers, or CEOs of companies or solopreneurs who are owning their own business and kind of doing things like I'm doing. Um, they get that and they get to that final rung, but then they suddenly are hearing from their spouses, like you're never home, or they're hearing from your their kids like why are you coming to this basketball game you never went to any of my others in the past two years so they find that their relationships are struggling that's probably i'd say 70 percent of what like attributes to people figuring out that they're not happy is that a relationship in their life is sort of in crisis or they're not in a relationship because all they've done is build their life and they don't have it. So they get to that top rung of the ladder. They have a glass of champagne and they're looking left and right. And there's nobody to celebrate with. I've certainly gotten my fair share of calls around that. But the main thing is um, people think that the success will equivalent to a successful relationship. And it just doesn't even out that way.
1: You know, it's, it's like that, It's just it's something we've all heard so many times, right, that if you uh, if you place your happiness on things externally, you're going to be left feeling disappointed. And we've read it for most of our professional careers, I imagine. I mean, the people that you coach, they are intelligent people like they've heard this stuff before. Why do you think it is that people just have to experience it as opposed to saying, you know what? I remember reading that blog article where someone said, make sure that you are, you know, creating your happiness internally so that you can deal with anything like why doesn't that message just sink in?
2: Matthew, it's my story that they're not reading those articles. It's my story that they're so focused on work because they're told that if you're successful, you have it all. So they're reading the articles on how to interview more effectively and in less time. They're reading the articles on how to get that next promotion, how to negotiate your salary, how to nail that lead, how to make a cold call. And their story is, is that by being successful, people will like them. And that that's what's good. That's their selling point, that it's not about who they are personally. It's about if I'm successful, that's why people will want to be around me because people want to be around successful people.
1: Hmm, Okay, so you're saying that they may not even be aware of that other conversation.
2: Not at all. Now, that's more often than not, that's what I, the first conversation I'm having with people is to sort of say, Are you aware, like you're, okay, so your wife or your husband has come to you and sort of said, I'm not happy in this marriage. And you're turning around and saying, Well, what do you mean? I just took you to Malibu and you yeah. don't like that BMW that's sitting in the driveway. What are you talking about? You're not happy. And I, the first question I say is, If I were to ask you what your partner needs, What are the three emotional needs they need on a regular and consistent basis in order to feel seen and taken care of by you? It's dead air. Every like nearly every single time because they they've checked off the list of I've brought in the money. They have the nice car. They can go on vacation. We got our kid a special, you know, premium membership to a special summer camp this summer. What more do they want? And I think that the problem is, is they haven't learned that there's value in being present Mm. because in their professional life, that doesn't equal dollars. So what's the point? So they don't equate in their personal lives that just showing up on time for dinner, asking how your day was listening and then asking a follow up question has any value because nobody cares about that when you're at work.
1: Yeah, that's very true. Or at least that's not something that's measured. At work, you know, no, it's, it's, or yeah. or
2: appreciated, yeah, yeah, yeah or appreciated.
1: You know, it, it is interesting though, as you said that, um, it reminded me of my own experience. Um, my parents got divorced when I was about ten years old, and I lived with my mom, and we would see my dad. Um, you know, like the typical arrangement. Every other weekend, he would he would have us, and I remember for for years growing up that one of the ways my dad showed his love for us was by purchasing us things. So when we would go to his house, we'd have the new video game or. You know, he would take us out to dinner and he would spend his money on us and he would show us that's how he loved us. And it wasn't until years later, um, when I was, you know, I had grown up a little bit and I had really reflected on those things that I shared with him that all I wanted was your time. I didn't want the things, I just wanted your time. And, you know, it took, it, he was maybe 60 years old when the first time he heard that and the first time it sunk in. So I, I get what you're saying where people just, they aren't having that conversation about you know what truly is important and
2: I, I think that so much of it is is because they spend so much time developing their professional lives they don't develop their personal sort of sense of self and personality and who they are and who they bring to a relationship. So they don't know that they think their value is in what they can provide. And that it's like eye opening, like, really, you want to spend time with me? And it's almost like shocking because they don't see themselves as valuable. They don't hold themselves in that kind of esteem as somebody that somebody else would want to spend time with.
1: Hmm, That's a really interesting way to look at it. Yeah, the the self value piece. Like, are they worthy of somebody else's love?
2: I used to hate that stupid expression that nobody can love you until you love yourselves. You know, I used to think that was like a victim (laughs) stance and like all you're doing is blaming the victim like, wow, you've been traumatized and now you have to love yourself because you've been traumatized in order for anybody else to love you. Mm -hmm. And I used to kind of get on my high horse about that. But the more I live in this world and have these conversations with people that it really is. You have to know that you're valuable to other people in order to like be able to be present for other people. Cause if you don't think you have anything to offer, you're creating a ton of other stories that make no sense and make it really hard for you to connect to the other person.
1: I like how you keep bringing up the word story because I, that resonates with me. I get that, you know, the stories that we make that we, we create, we then just play on repeat in our heads and then we, that becomes our reality. So I'm, I'm happy you bring that up because I think for the people listening it's a it's a it's something that they can grasp onto like what story am i creating that is resulting in this experience i'm having right now
2: absolutely and the way i kind of explain it to people is when someone says something does something or doesn't say and doesn't do something we create a story about it so for example if you know, like you, you know, you make a nice dinner for your wife and she doesn't say thank you. You can create a story about that, that she didn't even notice the extra effort. She doesn't really care. Um, when in fact she might've just been so grateful to have that dinner taken off her list and to be able to get 10 seconds of relaxation that she went and took those 10 seconds of relaxation rather than, having that conscious moment of thanking you. It doesn't mean she's ungrateful. She might have just forgotten to say it.
1: Ah, very true. So true. And, you know, I know for me, my ego kicks in real quick. If I extend myself, if I make myself vulnerable and I don't get the response or I don't get the action back that I was expecting, like it's so easy for uh, that, that story to just start to be created right then.
2: I absolutely I I think that the same is true for me I I find it too sometimes that um it the way it translates for me is because I tend to be thoughtful and because I tend to be insightful. When people aren't thoughtful towards me or when they don't seem to know or understand me, my story is: is why is it that I'm always doing more for other people than they're doing for me? When in actuality, when I have those really kind of raw personal conversations with people, it's not that they're not thinking of doing anything for me. It's not that they're selfish. It's that they think I've got it because I presume as so confident and capable um, that the story I'm sending out to them is I don't like almost I don't need you. I've got it. That part of getting my needs met in relationships means I have to be vulnerable and say out loud I have them rather than expecting other people to read my mind and know that.
1: Hmm. Yeah, that communication piece and just being bold enough to say what you want and sort of releasing what happens after that.
2: Every single time it's, you know, anytime there's a conflict in a relationship, the first thing I tell people and the first thing I try to teach people is tell the person what you want them to think. Because so often we don't say something because we're worried about how it's going to be taken or we don't quite know how to say it. But if you just simply say out loud, hey, I did this nice thing for you. I kind of like, I'd hope that you, you know, would have acknowledged it or said thank you. And my feelings are hurt that you didn't. That opens up the dialogue for somebody to, to say, "Oh my God, I'm so sorry. My head was in 50 million different places." But you have to tell the person what you want them to think and say it out loud before any of that gets worked out. Hmm.
1: So I noticed that when I was looking at your site, like a lot of your your content, your blog content, at least what I was seeing was about relationships and just kind of like what you you described. So, what ha- what has been your history with the primary relationships um, in your life in your past? Because it seems like that is a something that comes out, you know, right now for you. Sure.
2: Sure. I I'm married. uh, My husband's name is Damon, and we've been uh, together since 2003, and we got married in 2009. Um, And he's certainly my primary relationship, and he's my primary support. We've been through a lot together. Um, He suffered a spinal cord injury two years into our relationship. So he was um, at the time when I met him, he was quite active and able to walk, run and and do um, a bunch of other things. And he was in an accident, uh, suffered a spinal cord injury, and now he requires a wheelchair. Um, So life handed us a huge challenge. Um, And now we're going back like 10 years ago. So it doesn't feel so recent anymore. But um, that's certainly been like the cornerstone of how I've learn to, um, navigate relationships and to make them more real and understandable for people. Um, I also, I'm close to my sister and I, my parents as well. And I have a, a small core group of, uh, friends that I really heavily rely on as well.
1: Yeah. So relationships are big for you.
2: Yeah, I I think they, yeah, absolutely. And I think they're big for a lot of people. I feel like if our relationships are good, we're good. When relationships are in crisis, it's just kind of distracting. I always tell people work can be good so long and you can have a hard time in your personal life. But if your personal life and work are in conflict at the same time, that's when it it gets bubbly. But yeah, I think that people really um, find that whatever level of relationships they want, because I certainly know a lot of these people who call me, um, they're not looking for like a long-term, uh, committed relationship that a romantic relationship or marriage isn't necessarily considered something, their cornerstone in their own lives, but they want to be good with people and have people be good with them. Um, nobody wants to be an Island at the end of the day, however close they want to be to other people. That's usually personal preference.
1: Mm. Oh, that's powerful. So getting back to your, your coaching, I'm curious, you know, I feel like some of the best coaches are the people who've been there, like they've been there, they've done that and they can steer their, their clients past, um, landmines. So I'm curious, what makes you qualified to coach people on choosing happiness and to coach people on, on having I, I it
2: all? I think i yeah, I think I've, It's a fair question, and I'm really glad you asked it, because I think in this land of like online coaches, we can just sort of assume, oh, everybody's a coach, everybody's doing it. And I absolutely bring the chops Um, on a couple of levels. Clinically, I, you know, I've done my time and I I have the experience to mark off. But um, when I I mentioned earlier that I started residential um, with the hope of working in management, I decided that when I was sitting on top of a jungle gym, when I was 21 years old, working with a kid who was refusing To get down, getting him off the jungle gym and doing what he was supposed to do. Um, And I kind of thought I was always going to be a program manager. I worked my way up a ladder in that residential program for 10 years and I got to the top of the ladder and I hated it. Mm. And nobody prepared me for that. Nobody said, hey, when you decide what you want to be when you grow up, you're going to get to the top and you might find out you're wrong. (laughs) um and it was it was soul crushing um because i had worked so hard and i had so confidently decided at the cocky age of 21 that i knew <laughs> what i wanted um and that like my life was set Um, And I I had to pivot two years. I, you know, I worked 10 years, uh, get to the top, I became a program manager, and I tried to give it my all for two years. And it just didn't make me happy. And I I had to pivot. And that's when I, I started a brick and mortar private practice. And I really loved being my own boss. I loved being in control of my schedule. I loved the switch that happened when I was in private practice from working with people who were mandated by other people to see me to people who could just knock on my door when they were ready to see me and wanted to see me. Um, so professionally, that's kind of how that happened. But also personally, like I mentioned you know, earlier, um, I was two years into my relationship with my boyfriend when he was hurt and suffered a spinal cord injury and I had to re-choose whether or not I still wanted A life with him, whether or not I wanted a life as you know, the partner of somebody in a wheelchair living with disability, whether or not I wanted that part of my life, because I couldn't just say, oh, I'm dating this person, he suffered this injury. Now this has happened to me. I kind of I had to re choose it. I had Mm. to say, no, okay, life happened, but this is my life right now, and yes, I still want it. And I think those moments of introspection are, are so scary for people. And I, I certainly remember being scared, um, several times on this journey, but having gotten to the other side and making the decisions I needed to make to have the life I've wanted, I, I do it all over again.
1: Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's, it is one of those great things when you are faced with that fear, when you're faced with that thing that makes you incredibly uncomfortable and you move through it, you can look back on that journey, you know, whether it was something that happened in a day or a week or 10 years and be like, man, it was all worth it. It was all so worth it.
2: Well, without it, I wouldn't have become the person I am right now. And I, I think sometimes that's the other part of self-acceptance is that like, you have to like yourself, you have to like your life. But at some point in time, what's that like elevator summary you're going to make about like why something had to happen or what you learned from it. What's the takeaway? Um, and I think sometimes people are so afraid to, to look at that takeaway. Um, but when I realized that I had spent 10 or 10 years working at a job that ultimately wasn't going to be what I wanted to be when I grew up, it was the worst breakup ever. Um, but then recently when I wanted to sort of, be bolder and dream bigger and reach more people by creating an online business instead of a brick and mortar private practice suddenly it was like i was able to remember well you've done this before mm. like you pivoted you made a switch and it turned out great for a while maybe this new gig of yours and this new dream will turn out equally great
1: yeah yeah you're able to to look at that experience and you know you tucked it away in your pocket and you could pull it back out and say, yeah, I've done it before. Or I've done something that at the time felt like, you know, the hardest challenge in my life.
2: Absolutely. Absolutely.
1: So you mentioned when you were going through that, um, your professional journey, the, the 10 years to get to the top of your ladder, you get to the top, you realize it wasn't what you wanted. You realize that it just did not align, but you, you kind of grunted it out for two years What sort of things bubbled up for you? You know, what 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 bubbled up in terms of conflicts and other areas of your life? Because your career and, you know, you following your passion or your dream was out of alignment.
2: Um, well, the the first way I figured it out is I was crying every Sunday night before I had to go to work. Wow. Um, it, it just it didn't sit well with my soul anymore, so to speak. Um, I it was also I think it was hard for my husband at the time to be supportive of me going in uh, day in and day out um, when I wasn't happy. Um, and I think that we we all create this loop, and I, I'm sure your listeners and you might even resonate with this too. Like, so I'd be crying on a Sunday before going to work. And then I'd have some awesome kid moment on a Wednesday and I'd be like, oh, that's why I'm here. Like, of course I need to stay. And then on Friday, I was so thankful the week was over and it was a weekend and I was in a good mood because I'd have two days off. And then on Sunday night, the Sunday blues would hit and I'd be in it again. And when you do that enough, um, you just realize something needs to change. Now, the funny part of that is, is my job was so stressful and kind of ridiculous and crazy that I there was no way I was going to figure out what I really wanted. So the only reason why I even ended up in private practice is because I had the clinical license in Massachusetts that made it so I could do that so I could see put up a shingle. And my intention was, I'm just going to do this for now. And then I'm going to figure it out. And I had no idea how much I was going to love being my own boss. And I think so many times like that's another lesson I've learned. And how do you make these choices is that you don't have to know the forever step. And that's the difference between the job I was in when I was in residential and where I'm at now is I'm just looking at what's next, not not what's forever. And I can pivot at any time. And I think that's a way people can choose to have it all when they're not putting this pressure on themselves to know the final answer and the end goal. Um, you know, when they're 30, when they're 35, you know, when they're 55, it's this is just what's next. This is what I want right now. And, and that's that's the huge takeaway.
0: What's the easiest choice you can make?
1: in 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 this in your story getting to that point like what what was it that basically the the straw that broke the camel's back between the two years at that career and then you moving into your private practice was it a a gradual transition or was it like okay I can't do this anymore I'm leaving
2: you know, it's funny. Um, I have a dear girlfriend and when she and I were, uh, oh gosh, we were young, uh, early 20s, we used to sit and have these like long conversations after work. Um, and our work was like second shift. So we'd get out at like 11 o'clock at night and we developed this sort of mantra is you'll know when you know, and Mm -hmm. you can analyze it forever. Um, you can go into analysis paralysis, but at some point in time, you'll just know. Um, and my, I was leading the program at the time I was going through that cycle of Sunday blues, Wednesday, it's okay. Friday weekend. Um, and I, I just had a moment where, um, I was in a position where I wanted to do a family event And I suddenly was like, oh, I've already juggled the on-call schedule twice. I can't ask somebody to cover my call again. I don't think I'm going to be able to go. And I just, I decided, I think in that moment, I, you know, this, I, I need to change.
1: Yeah. Wow. And how did you muster the courage to make that change? Because I know that there is someone listening who's in that position right now. like. They they feel all the all the, the factors are there, all the reasons it does, you know, their career, whatever it is their Maybe it's their relationship. It doesn't align with who they are, and what they're about. But they're just missing that that little bit of courage to get over the hump. How the first you, thing I
2: did. Yeah. yeah the first thing I did is I cried my eyes out um, and I grieved it. And I, I think I, I gave myself permission to be wrong and I gave myself permission to start new And I, I think that I told myself that I have a choice. I can be unhappy crying about a job I don't like, or I can be unhappy because I'm scared that I don't know what's next. I have to choose my unhappy one has no end point. I'm unhappy at this job. It looks like I'm going to stay unhappy at this job. The next one is, well, I'm unhappy because I'm scared and I'm nervous and I'm doubting myself and I don't really know how to run my own business. I've never done it before, but that has an end date at some point because I can learn, or if I'm wrong, I'll just be out of the residential long enough to be able to get a new job.
1: Ah, That's that's an amazing, I think, shift in, in how to view that situation.
2: You have to choose your unhappy. Sometimes I think so. Like I had to not only choose happiness, but sometimes you just have to choose your pile of suck, which (laughs) sucks less.
1: (laughs) Yeah. I mean, and that's real, right? Because sometimes all you can see is the pile of suck. You're just so in it. You're like, I I can't see anything else. Like this pile sucks. That pile sucks. This one sucks even more. And so, yeah, you know, it's,
2: it's, And where am I, you know, what's going to get me out of this the fastest, but the whole time it has to be this awareness that like, I can get myself out of this. And I I think that, you know, when you talk about how'd you get here, I think one of the things I probably don't give myself enough credit for, or I don't really pay attention to very often, um, because I don't really identify with it as part of my core story. I think a lot of times my core story has been about like leaving the residential job after recognizing it wasn't what I wanted to be when. I grew up and having a relationship with someone who has a spinal cord injury, mm-hmm. but my mom died when I was six years old. Um, and, um, I was born with a cleft palate and I was kind of the sick kid who always, you know, I got uh, viral spinal meningitis when I was a young kid. And half of that, I remember my mom dying, of course, but I don't remember being sick and I don't really remember the cleft palate operations. But I think by the time I you know, was in college, I'd already survived a lot. I'd already done a lot of life and I was still standing and I still had talents and things that I was good at. Um, and I, I think sometimes when, you know, I'm just thinking as you asked me this, that I I probably don't give that foundation enough credit in Mm. terms of how did I come out fighting? And I, I'm sure that's part of it.
1: Well, what's cool about that moment, you know, the moment that uh, we just had was that, you're somebody who I believe is very introspective, who's done a lot of of deep diving internally, and the fact that even you have things in your past that are part of a story that you weren't recognizing is powerful for people to hear. Because I think that you know it might be easy for someone to look at you or someone to look at me hosting this podcast and be like, "Oh, well, they they you know they they talk the talk, so they must walk the walk all the time." But you're you know you're sharing that yeah you even overlook things at times
2: absolutely i didn't even know until um i guess maybe the past 5 years or so ago how introverted i am ah. um that i'm somebody who gets my energy Uh, by being alone, I don't think that I've always known that I've liked alone time. I've always known that, like, I was the person who never had an issue, uh, going to a movie by myself. Um, I lived alone before my relationship for like eight years, I think I was living alone. Um, and I loved every second of it. And there's this (laughs) part of me that could still like, if you know, I had my truest wish, have a secret apartment somewhere that I could go and, uh. (laughs) escape to whenever I wanted, even though I'm, you know, happily married. I don't nobody ever gave me words for that. And then yeah. a couple of years ago, I read Susan Kane's book on uh, quiet and, um, learned more about people who are introverts. And I had like a collection of those qualities that I knew about myself, but I had never had like a word for it wh- where I was like, wow, I'm introverted because I'm not shy. I I'm sitting here having this conversation with you and I, it's lighting me up. Right. Yeah. Like I'm, I'm, you know, I'm in my zone and I'm having a lot of fun talking to you, but I never realized that in order to be this animated and tuned into my passion, I also need downtime and time by myself. It's only been the past couple of years that I've realized I can't be lit up unless I've also had some downtime by myself.
1: It's so important to know what you need to, to recharge. You know, to be aware like, oh, man, I'm feeling a little bit depleted. I need to do X, Y and Z because I know that's what helps me to to get back up. And what I I also want to put an asterisk on that, like it's a healthy thing that you're doing. It's not I need to go turn to this drink or I need to go turn to this substance. What you're you're referring to is something healthy.
2: Yes. Absolutely. But the thing is, Matthew, that's the part where people don't always understand that
1: part. Mm. So
2: when I, you know, when I tell somebody that like, oh, yes, I'm technically free on Friday, I can technically do lunch with you, but I don't want to meet you for, uh, you know, a little bit of day drinking in the middle of the day. I'd actually prefer to be by myself. I that that's where it gets tricky that it's, it affects relationships. And I think sometimes that conflict with our needs and how they impact our friendships, our personal relationships or relationships with family, I think that's a lot of the reasons why people stop tuning into their needs because their needs create conflict for other people.
1: What's interesting about you saying that is I agree hundred percent agree. What it, what it, what it, what I think is interesting is if you, you know, you're in a relationship and you don't take your needs into account, you know, on a Monday, on a Tuesday, on a Wednesday, at some point it's going to come up to the surface. At some point it's going to be a huge conflict: the fact that you haven't been taking your needs into account. And
0: I, I
2: absolutely, it, yeah, and I, th- I think that's how it happens for people yeah. that they end up in these. They end up in these relationships and they're suddenly in conflict and that's when they realize needs aren't getting met. Um, because they've just, they've denied that they needed it. You know, I, I've worked recently with a man who was really into, I always like laugh about this, but I don't know if you know about like the pan mass challenge, the huge bike ride. That's like a fundraiser on the East coast. I don't know, even know how many days it goes on, but every year somebody ends up in my office because of that stupid bike challenge, because (laughs) people don't know how to talk about why that's really important to them. Why exercise really matters. Why? gym time or training time or rock climbing time, CrossFit time, like, you know, you know, fill in the blank there. Um, is important to them and their spouse doesn't understand. So they just back off and they say, I don't need to do that bike race. I'll just send in my check. That's good enough to support these people. It doesn't have to be me. But then a year and a half later, they're unhappy in the relationship and they haven't made the connection that it's because like, wow, bike riding used to be really important to you. You used to be a racer. You used to light up bike riding, but because you didn't want to have the fight, you stopped saying it out loud. And now here you are at the top of the ladder where you have eight weeks paid vacation every year and you don't know what the heck to do with yourself because you gave up bike riding so long ago you forgot it's a thing you like. Oof.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it's so important to to honor yourself and your your things that you want to experience and the things that you feel you need.
2: And And to be able to say it out loud rather than giving it away.
1: Yeah, yeah.
2: Oof.
1: Well, I am. Um, I'm looking at the time, and I want to ask you a question. Are you comfortable with going over a couple extra minutes? Because there's something I wanted to ask you, and it it'll go past sure, the forty abso- minutes. Sure,
2: absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Cool.
1: All right, awesome. Um, so, getting back on you and your introspection and your ability to deep dive, um, I've talked on this show about something called an epic challenge, and it's come up in a number of episodes. And essentially, an epic challenge is an area in your life where you currently Feel stuck, you know. You feel stuck. You're not getting the results that you want. You're not having the understanding that you want. Um, And it can be in any type of area of your life. It can be in love and relationships, or career, or friendships, or wherever. Um, So, my question for you is: Is what is your current epic challenge? And I challenge you to go deep on it and to share with us something that you know really is that it's, it's it's big. And it's, it's something that uh, is hitting you at the core right now.
2: Yeah, I, I. It's actually not hard to dig deep because it's been bothering me for a while. But I feel like I've been a really lousy friend to people who are important to me. Yeah. Um, last year, my husband had. Um, he had a. He had a tough time. He was sick for about eight months last year, and I had friends who were so present and they were checking in with me every day and they were bringing by food and making sure I got my needs met. And um, this year, he's better, and I'm so excited that he and I are doing really well and my business is doing really well. Um, Last week we were on vacation. We got to go to New York City and we ate our way through New York City, but the week before vacation... I was kind of hustling, right? I was trying to get all my bases covered before vacation. And I had a friend sort of message me kind of tentatively and let me know she was having a hard time. Um, And I I just, I didn't respond. Um, I, it almost, in the moment I got that message and it felt like I don't have time for this. Um, And I didn't necessarily want to make the time. And that is not me, Matthew. Like Mm -hmm. that, I'm not somebody who ever thinks or feels about a friend that like I don't have time for you Um, and I don't want that feeling and I don't like that feeling but I feel like that is an area where my balance has shifted in an, in a way that it never has before that my marriage is rock solid. My business is living up to the potential that I want it to live in. And I'm helping people and I'm taking care of people with their depression and their struggles. And suddenly I have these friends and it's not just one time. I, you know, I could forgive myself for one isolated incident. This has come up a couple of times over. I probably say the start of the year when I really started dreaming bigger for myself professionally is that I haven't made the time for my friendships that I, I really want to make. And I, I don't always feel like I, I know how to make the time because something's got to give. And at the end of the day, I, I think I end up choosing either my, my alone time, my marriage time, or my business time. And I, I really worry that I'm hurting my friends.
1: Hmm. Oh, that's real. That's real. So, I mean, we're almost eight months when we're as we're talking right now, we're in August. So almost nine months, excuse me, into the year. And you said you've been experiencing this since the beginning of the year. So do you see like the the place you hold for your friends and the expectations dropping a little bit to counterbalance the time and energy you've been putting into your relationship with your husband, which now you guys are going out and doing more things and your job, which your career, which something you're building, like do you do you see it counterbalancing or how how do you you see yourself addressing the situation.
2: The, the first step and it was, you know, it was so funny is when it first happens, you sort of say to somebody, Oh, I know we haven't gotten together in a while. I'm so sorry. And you get the immediate, Oh, it's okay. I understand. Like oh, yeah. you're finally able to go out and do things. And you feel like you've been given a pass. Yep. I don't think I knew at the first time I said it, that that was bothering me then that I didn't want to be the person who says, I'm so sorry. Um, I can't make time. So what is starting to shift, um, um, and it's only, I'd say, really only since like the past week or so, Matthew. Like, I'm just getting on this now. Is changing my expectations for what time with my friends looks like. Mm. That it's okay if it's just a phone call, but that I'm not going to wait for someday. I'm going to schedule it. My sister and I, um, we both have August birthdays, and we always do instead of presents for each other, we spend a day together and we we texted just today about like, okay, when is girls day? And my instinct was, oh, well, your life's really crazy right now. Let's not schedule it. And she sort of said, if we don't schedule it, it doesn't happen. And it was like a light bulb moment that that's what I have to do with my friends. Because if it's on my schedule professionally, it happens. So if I want more time with my friends, I can't rely on making time. I have to schedule it. Um, and you, you know, there's this uh in the leadership mod uh, world, there's some talk too about like you you schedule your priorities. Yeah. Um, you don't prioritize your schedule. Yeah. And it's so funny. Professionally, I've nailed it. I I schedule the art. Articles I want to write. I schedule my coaching sessions I want to do. I schedule interviews like this with you, but I haven't put my girlfriend on a schedule in a really long time. Well, now they're starting to get added to my schedule, and I can. I don't think I'm I'm going to be right with myself or right in the relationships until I've sincerely apologized for not being available. Um, but I think that I'll I'll be doing better by the end of the year.
1: Uh, so it sounds like you, you're doing a couple of things. You know, you said owning it, owning the fact that you, that you haven't made them a, you know, as a priority, a priority like they were in the past. And then you got into some of the effective things that you were doing in your business that were working. You started to implement them in the friendships as well with the scheduling. I like that.
2: And I I think that's the way a lot of people can learn how to manage life challenges, that if you're struggling personally, more often than not, you have a professional skill you can lean on that translates. And the same thing in business is that if you know... So, you know, I was talking to somebody the other day who's talk was he's a manager and he was telling me about this over anxious employee. And I said, well, you have a kid. Have you ever had a kid wake up in the middle of the night scared to go back to sleep? And he's like, yeah, that's my life right now. And I said, well, what do you do? And we walked through it that he lowers his voice. He uses shorter sentences. He, he says more encouraging statements. I said, that's the same thing you can do with your nervous employee, because at some point in time, you're still telling your kid, Hey kid, you got to get back to bed. Yeah, You're still having accountability, but you're also offering the nurturance. And I, and that's how I walked him through it.
1: Oh, that's great. That's fantastic. You know, cause there, there are a lot of people out there listening who um, have achieved some sort of success. Like they've put a certain set of skills to work in, in, in an area like career and it's worked out in their favor, but then they wonder why other areas haven't worked. And it's like, well, you've you've excelled at your career. You've been able to communicate with your team so you can do it. Now it's just doing that with you know your family and your, your kids or those relationships that you feel are suffering. So being able to translate all of those skills, I think is great.
2: I call it tuning into capability,
1: hmm. that if you
2: can tune into what you're capable of, suddenly you're able to do it.
1: Oh, I like that. Tuning into capability. Very cool. Well, Heather, this has been, this has been a really fun, full conversation. I mean, we packed a lot in, in, in just under an hour. And, um, again, I appreciate you extending it a little bit. This has been great.
2: Oh, good. I, 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 enjoy talking about this stuff and I, I am so grateful to have the opportunity to, uh, talk to you and get to know you as well. Thank you so much.
1: Awesome. Well, as, as we come to a close, I do want to give you, uh, the ability to do two things. Um I want you to leave us with a takeaway, just some something that we can walk away from your story, your experience, we can put in our back pocket some sort of tool. Um, and then I also want to I want you to let people know how they can connect with you, how they can get in touch with you um, and learn more about you. So those two things.
2: Sure. The first thing that i I would want to tell people is that when you're trying to decide what it is that's actually gonna make you happy, the tip here is to stop. Eg- like you have to start ignoring the critic that says, but you haven't gone to school yet, but what will so-and-so think? And do you really think you can do that? Because if you start at the obstacles of all of the things that are gonna get in the way of making you happy, you never get there. You never figure out what actually is gonna make you happy. You've stopped at the obstacles. So what I always teach people is get really clear on what it is you want, no matter how big, bold, brave, scary, challenging it is, And then we'll move to the how. Then we break it down to how do you... How do you solve the obstacles? How do you get the money? How do you find the time? How do you have the conversation? How do you learn what you need to know? But if you don't get really clear on what it is your dream is and get comfortable saying it out loud, you just never get there. Um, and if people want to have that conversation with me, they can find me easily at choose choosetohaveitall.com. All my information, all my links to social media, my blogs, my articles, the freebies that are attached to the articles, they're all there.
1: Mm. Awesome. I will, I will have links to your, your website in the show notes. And, um, I love that takeaway, you know, the, the what, and then the how absolutely love that. Um, Heather, this has been, this has been fantastic. And I
2: it's lighting me up. I'm so excited. This has been a fantastic <laughs> conversation. I, I, I loved it. it. Loved it.
1: Very cool. Well, I have one final <laughs> question for you, Heather. Question is, sure. do, do you have it all?
2: I I think I do. Once I figure out that thing with the friends, um, it's I'm not going to be right with me until I figure out the balance with the friends. But other than that, I am well on my way. Um, I I feel really good about where it's at. I I just have some conversations with friends I need to have first. Mm,
1: That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, Heather, thank you so much for, for coming on the show with me, for being real, being transparent, downloading and dropping your genius. I really, really appreciate you. Thank you.
2: Ah, thank you. This has been fantastic.
1: Two quick things before you leave. First, did you know that the Having It All podcast is a part of the Fireside Network? Yep, we are one of the esteemed shows that calls Fireside Network home. That means if you ever want to listen to a show outside of iTunes or Stitcher or whatever your favorite podcasting app is, all you need to do is visit FiresideNetwork dot com and under shows select having it all. From there, you can access all the episodes, see the show notes, learn about my guests, and more. Second, I am very excited to announce that my brand new website is live. Visit matthewbivins.com and you can learn more about me, get plugged into an accountability group, and pick up some free content like the Abundance Benchmark. I am all about helping you not only identify what your ideal life looks like, but also helping you on your journey towards it. I want you to experience more abundance and love in your life. So again, you can find out more information about all of that great stuff at MatthewBivens.com. Thank you once more for listening to the show. And here is to you having it all.